At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning, and who loves you, baby? Uh, This is Barry White's birthday, so... um, have a very um, Barry White day for all of you. This is Bennett Kelly, and you're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. We're broadcasting live from our Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica, California, at the heart of Silicon Beach. And we've got a great show for you today. We have um, Rebecca Madigan is back once again, one of our favorite guests. And she's going to be talking about, you guessed it, the Amazon tax, which actually has now gone into effect in Pennsylvania and next week will go into effect in California. And then the second half hour, we have another friend of the show, Stan Stahl, is back. And he's going to be talking about um, what exactly did or did not happen um, with GoDaddy and, um, and, and talk about the state of cybersecurity today in the U.S. So we've got a great show for you today. Um, as you know, there's been a lot of world news that's been dominating um, the, the news today. And uh, I just want to read a statement um, Henry Waxman, a congressman here from um, covers this area, um, released a statement that, as a nation, we mourn the tragic loss of a dedicated public servant, Ambassador um, Christopher Stevens, and the other personnel killed in the attack on the U.S. mission in Benghazi, Libya. We must stand together against those who ferment intolerance, incitement, and violence, 
and renew our gratitude and appreciation for a diplomatic court that advances and defends American values with honor, courage, and sacrifice. And we certainly second that thought and also wish Congressman Waxman a happy birthday as well. Um, he's actually been a good friend to the tech community. And so um, thank you again, Mr. Congressman Waxman. So, um, Rebecca, are you with us? I am, Bennett. Thank you. Um, we have quite a full plate to cover today. And uh, I guess let's start with the, the witching hour. Um, Pennsylvania, you know, the um, Amazon tax by press release goes into effect in <laughs> and, and, uh, September 1. And then um, September 15th is the, the witching hour for the Amazon tax in California. What, what, tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, let me say a couple of things. I want to take a step back. I'm not sure if your listeners are completely familiar with everything that's gone on. And I can do a quick summary. And That'd I also... Because I speak with such authority, I would like people to know that I am not an attorney and I am not practicing law without a license right now. So, um, you <laughs> say just, that like just a bad to make thing. that clear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I don't want to be accused of uh, of you know giving guidance. So, um, not that that's happened recently or anything. Um, about four years ago, August of two thousand and eight, New York passed the first Amazon tax law, and really, what this was is a state's creative attempt to try and get internet retailers to collect sales tax, just like brick and mortar retailers have to do it. And, you know, there's this, this, the constitution has this tiny little requirement, a physical presence standard. So a state can only um, uh, ha- obligate a retailer to collect its sales tax if that retailer has a physical presence in the state. And that's usually meant a store like a like an actual building or a sales force. And New York came up with this creative interpretation that said, if you're running ads on websites in New York, that's going to be the same thing as having a store. That's Nexus. You now have to collect sales tax. The same kind of law has now passed in nine states. And the overwhelming response has been about a thousand of these pure online retailers, instead of collecting sales tax like the laws have said, they followed this sort of workaround or loophole and, and they've just stopped running ads in on websites based in those states. So what that means to the online advertising industry is there are about 76,000 online advertising businesses that have been wiped out as a result. That's about a third of our industry. So um, this is pretty serious for us. Uh, and that's why we're we're in the fight. That's why we've been spearheading the grassroots fight, and we're really active in supporting the Washington legislation that, that would make this all go away. So um, maybe let's, let's talk a little bit about the Washington legislation then. Yeah, there are, there are um, two bills in Congress, one in the House, one in the Senate. The House is the Marketplace Equity Act, sponsored by Congressman Womack and Speer, and the uh, Market, Marketplace Fairness Act sponsored by Durbin, Enzi, and Alexander. And they're essentially the same, and they get rid of that nexus requirement. They say all businesses must collect sales tax for all states. And what makes, so that's very simple, makes it, makes it a very simple solution, and that's why it's gotten a lot of traction. And also that there are solutions that are available today for retailers that are very easy to adopt, that are as easy for an online retailer to embed into their into their checkout page as credit cards processing software, and it does all the calculation and remittance with with every state. So so the burden becomes very low for these online retailers, and states gain um, 
more power, more control over their own revenue destiny. So this is really a, a, a state's rights issue, according to the Republican supporters. And, of course, they have uh, access to revenue. And some estimate it's, it's in the 20s of billions of dollars that will bring uh, revenue to the states over the next two years. And, and as you know, and we've talked about this before, you know, a big driving force you know, this this isn't really a, a, a theoretical exercise. This is about revenue, and the recession has the. You know, this has been a particularly bad recession that we're recovering from, and it's been especially hard for states. This has been one of the, the kind of the biggest crunch period states have had since the depression, and so looking for revenue, you know, walking away from you know revenue that you could you could or should collect has been a very difficult for states and that's what what this has been such an issue um that's definitely lit the fire behind this as much as anything and and but what's kind of interesting what's really turned uh really brought a lot of support is that uh, a whole coalition of republican governors came out in support of this and governor haslam from tennessee a republican he testified at the house judiciary committee hearing a couple of months ago and he said he made a great point he said this allows me to actually lower other taxes so if i'm getting you know tax revenue which which his philosophy is that's a fair and equitable tax that is more consumption oriented and much more in line with Republican policy that is allowed to lower other taxes that he feels are unfair in the state. And we heard we heard a, a legislator from Utah say the same thing. So a Republican legislator uh, in Utah say the same thing. So it gives you know the 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 states power to control their own revenue destinies, but it also gives the politicians a way to to message it or apply it. You know in Cal- you know, Governor Brown said that's going to close about 10% of this $16 billion budget gap that he has. So that's his favorite message right now. Which is, yeah, obviously um, trying, to, you know, try, trying to avoid raising taxes otherwise. Um, and that, that's, that's the, the important point about all this is that we only refer to it as Amazon, Amazon tax, but it is a misnomer because it's really about collecting an existing tax. Right. Right. People... Now, Go ahead. They owe that money already as part of use tax, and of course, people don't pay it or don't remit it on their income tax every year. So it's it's owed money already; it's just not collected. So this is really just shifting collection. And that's and, and that is clearly in a way that's more efficient, I think. Um, and you know, we, we were talking offline. I, you know, I, I was audited recently on on this very issue, and, and the cost to the state of California of sending me the, the Request and then the, the time spent to look at all the Amazon purchases I've made, um, and then calculate you know how much we owed, and we may have been off by a couple of dollars. And so we have all this time and energy spent on both the governmental and private sector side to come up with a couple of dollars of tax it just isn't efficient when <laughs> you know businesses can do it all on an automated basis. Yeah, that's that's the key. The solutions now have caught up with advancements in technology. So it's it's really a very simple process for retailers to adopt. Now, one thing we were talking about offline was um, Grover Norquist, and you know he's a, a dominant player in Washington, and he's 
um, the, the one who gets candidates to sign the no-tax pledge. And so the question has always been, you know, where's Grover on this issue on, on the Main Street fairness thing? Because is this, is this a tax or is this really just a collection issue? And where has he come out? Strangely, he's shifted a little bit in his messaging. First of all, the pledge is about income tax. So this doesn't apply to the pledge at all. But that doesn't mean he hasn't been sort of vocal in um, various ways. Now, when the Amazon tax laws were being you know, battled at the state level, his team was side by side with me and saying, this is not a new tax, this is a use tax collection issue. Then when these bills were introduced in Congress, his, he initially was very quiet, and then he started making a little noise saying, you know what, even though consumers already owe this, they aren't paying it today, so it feels like a new tax, so therefore it is a new tax and I oppose it. But he hasn't really gotten a lot of support from his compatriots in his own party, and um, there's been a tremendous shift in support on the Republican side, tremendous momentum, um, and, and but you know obviously there's there's been all, a long time support on the Democrat side. So this is being this these bills, these Main Street. Uh, I'm sorry, marketplace. They started out as Main Street fairness. Now it's marketplace fairness and marketplace equity. Um, this these bills are being held up as sort of a, a poster child of bipartisanship because Congress does need some issue to come together on, or the American people are just gonna. You know, I don't know what they're going to do. <laughs> well, um, just so for the listeners, um, there's a backgrounder on this issue on the blog. It's actually been posted on the chat room, the link to it, as well as the link to a timeline um, that was prepared on Tiki Toki. Um, but you can get that on ilccyberreport.wordpress.com. Um, and uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Amy about what's going on in California and what it means for affiliates after these messages from Webmaster Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. How much time do you spend on SEO research and competitor analysis? What if we told you that there was an easier, faster way? Searchmetrics SEO software propels you to top positions on search engines around the world with our unique global search, social, and competitive data in over 60 countries. Gain a competitive advantage today with Searchmetrics.com. That's Searchmetrics.com. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. 
Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Radio's Virtual Autobahn. WebmasterRadio.fm. Moving at the speed of light. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly. We have Rebecca Madigan talking about the Amazon tax, which on September 15th goes into effect in the golden state of California. Um, Rebecca, uh, what is that going to mean for affiliates? Are we going to start seeing some of the mass terminations we saw in other states? We actually hope that we've, we've got a solution for that, a workaround. Um, as soon as we saw that this law was going to start to p- pass, we, we had blocked it. There was the, the Amazon was going to, I don't know if you wanted to go way back in history a year ago. It, it's my, it's, I live and breathe this. So I'm not sure what people remember, but Amazon was No, it's was useful because the deal that was, they were, they were going to do a ballot campaign, and then there was a deal yeah. made. Yes. So when we knew the ballot campaign was about to fall apart and the deal was going to be made, I started um, uh, working with the Board of Equalization here in California on a workaround. The Board of Equalization is one of the tax collection agencies here in California and the one that deals with sales and use tax collection. And I proposed um, a workaround that's similar to what was done in New York. And this this workaround allows out-of-state retailers to keep their affiliate marketer uh, relationships in place if those those affiliate marketers agree not to do something that looks like solicitation. So this gets into a whole long discussion over beers about what what establishes Nexus and what doesn't. Is it the click? Is it the solicitation? Is it the payout of of the ad dollars? You know, and they're the location of the web hosting. I mean, this, there's so much theory out there that's, um, you know, uh, 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 kind of kind of been debated on and on and on over and over again. But California um, interpreted any activity that directly targets consumer consumers in California trying to convince them to buy something from an out-of-state retailer. They call that solicitation. So they they are allowing these affiliate marketers or these we call them web publishers to continue to work with out of state retailers and run their ads as long as those ads are generic in nature do not target Californians specifically and are are much like you know any banner ads that they put on their site uh, and target anybody else anonymously so they can't do things like targeted emails to Californians handing out flyers distributing coupons at events um, they they can just pretty much maintain their status quo online web business which covers a very large percentage of activities advertising activities online so this process was just certified or validated or approved I should say last week and um, it involves um, the the out-of-state retailer to make sure that they say in their advertising agreements with these California publishers that they can't do anything that looks like solicitation. And these California publishers <coughs> must 
provide sworn affidavits back to the advertisers that they aren't doing anything that's solicitation. We hope that saves most of these relationships. You know, the state really wanted to get Amazon to collect, and they got Amazon to start collecting. They'll start collecting September 15th. So they're very much in support of keeping these. There's 25,000 of these small online businesses that rely on advertising here in California. They don't want to harm them. They want to allow them to stay in business. They saw the impact of when the law was first signed into effect in July. Uh, we had these 25,000 businesses have their income completely cut off at the stroke of Jerry Brown's pen signing that law. We were had a reprieve of a year. And so now this workaround will give us um, at least some breathing room. Once we get the federal legislation passed, it, this will all go away and, and marketing as we know it and best practices can resume here in California. And, and the, the other major um, online retailer who was particularly being aggressive in terminations in the past was Overstock. And and the, I think Overstock is, is caught in the legislation because there's a provision about naming rights, and they, it's, they have the naming rights for Oakland Coliseum. <laughs> that, so does that sign establish nexus for them? They don't interpret it as that sign establishing nexus or their, or that Coliseum, the naming established nexus. But whether or not they're going to allow this work process to keep their affiliate relationships going in California, I don't. I don't think they've made a um, notification one way or the other, and they may they may just wait until September fifteenth. I don't know. And I, I think you make a good point in that here we are, just days away from this occurring, and you know, in the past, you know, months before any of this would go into effect, even usually even before the governor would sign the legislation, there would be notices sent out to affiliates, and the fact that you know, that doesn't there isn't much buzz, and that doesn't it appear to be that affiliates are getting such notice. That, that could be a very positive sign for the industry. Yeah. Yes, we've heard from a lot of retailers that they are keeping their affiliate programs open using this kind of workaround process. So, you know, that, that is great news um, for our industry. You know, we become a less – if there are less websites to run ads on, then we become a less attractive advertising channel. And so our our whole industry is sort of dependent upon – the, the ability for more and more small website owners to make money from online advertising. And, um, you know, and it's one of the fastest growing types of advertising and one of the fastest growing types of Internet businesses. We have VC money and, and investors circling, wanting to invest and holding back in states where these laws are being considered or have passed because, they, the, you know, the, the, the income and the revenue hit is so severe that it, it doesn't make sense to make an investment. So we think once these laws are all put to bed and, and gone for once and for all, um, we'll see a huge you know, swell of, of growth uh, back in our industry. And, and the other thing to keep in mind is you were talking about um, businesses, but it's not just businesses that have online advertising. Nonprofits do too. And there, were, you know, I remember when I was meeting with Congress on on some of the behavioral targeting is- issues. You know, I would make a point of showing you know, the nonprofits in their district that count on advertising revenue. And so, you know, clearly the bulk of what we're talking about is uh, our e-commerce oriented sites. But you know, just supporting um, non local nonprofits, for example, in Boston, the Freedom Trail, um, you know, they, they're ad supported, and and so it's, it's good to keep that in mind as well. 
So the, going back to Washington, um, the view is that if anything happens, it will be in the lame duck session. Is that, the, that more or less what the conclusion is? Hoping that the, that we're going to get some movement in the lame duck session, and it and it's been changing. You know, we started lobbying in April of this year. Um, started last November, um, so we have seen quite a shift. I mean, two, just two months ago, the discussion was: should we or shouldn't we do this? And then about six weeks ago, the dialogue completely shifted to: yes, do this. Now let's just get the details. Uh, Harry Reid, um, uh, a majority leader, came out and said, look, we think this is the, the one and only tax bill that has bipartisan support. Let's get a vote on this right away. Now, he had said September. Congress is in session right now for a total of eight days before they all go back to the election. <laughs> but, but that well for the spirit that we saw in, in the Senate. Hopefully, the same you know spirit is uh, growing in in the House. So, I think we have a good shot. Um, if it doesn't get passed in the lame duck, then then all bet I think because we don't know who's going to. Well, right now we don't know who's going to win the election, the presidential election, or any power shifting in the houses. But is though we're going to have a bunch of freshmen come in to Washington. There's, the education process has to start over again. So I don't right. know. Quick slam duck in 2013. We're gonna we got a got a lot of work ahead of us if we don't make it in lame duck. Now, I mean, no one is saying there won't be a lame duck. I think it's it's assumed at this point that that is going to occur, right? <laughs> it's funny you say that. Um, I irritate my lobbyists all the time because my basis of information about Washington politics is that I've started to rewatch The West Wing from. The- <laughs> <laughs> Like a season one episode, like, well, the, the duck session is rare. Only is reserved just in case. <laughs> so they laughed me out of the room when I when I said, is, is that the situation? They said, no, pretty much for the past, I don't know, 15 years or so, there's always been a lame duck session. So um, it's kind of standard practice now, I guess. And because there's been this absolute stalemate in Congress, Anything that needs to get done will have to get done in lame duck. So it's it's probably needed more now than ever. They've never my, my lobbyists have been um, in Washington for over twenty years. Uh, one of one of them was uh, Tim Punk was tax counsel for uh, President Clinton, and um, one was uh, was chief of staff for Orrin Hatch. And Rebecca, we only got like a minute left. Um, could you tell us um, you know, where you're going to be speaking next if people want to hear more of, about this issue and um, hear it straight from you live? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to be speaking October 1st and 2nd at the OMA Global Show, which is part of Ad Week in New York City. We have a number of our members talking about the future of advertising and the future of performance advertising. So uh, come check us out. It's a great show. Well, Rebecca, it's been—it's always a privilege having you. And again, I'm, I'm a big fan. You've—you uh, know—you've managed to herd cats, and you've done it in an effective way, working with <laughs> policymakers and at the state and federal level. So, uh, a big um, um, shout out to you. And uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have Stan thanks, Stahl Bennett. with Citadel Security. And um, thanks again, Rebecca. Good luck to you. Thanks, Bennett. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. 
Rise links and web indexes. Take a bow to the largest link map in the world. Majestic SEO. Majestic SEO wields its virtual sort with speed and accuracy to deliver detailed reports of your company's link data and that of your competition. Let Majestic SEO make you your own king of internet marketers and join the crusade of clients and agencies that have chosen the noble choice for link intelligence. MajesticSEO.com Maximize ROI to use your time and let Majestic wield its mighty sword. MajesticSEO.com It's good to be king. Are you losing money because of a poorly designed website? Frustrated by low conversion rates on your online campaigns? Then come to Conversion Conference East 2012. Brasco here for WebmasterRadio.fm inviting you to Conversion Conference East 2012, October 9th and 10th in my backyard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Learn strategies used by the world's top conversion, usability, and testing experts to turn more clicks into customers. Immerse yourself in two days of interactive learning from 33 breakout sessions and three incredible keynotes from landing page optimization guru Tim Ash, conversion scientist Brian Massey, and the brain lady Susan Weinshank. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 10% discount on your pass. When you register online at conversionconference.com with the promo code WMFM. Don't be left out. Join us at Conversion Conference East 2012, October 9th through 10th in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Go to conversionconference.com or click on the Conversion Conference logo on the webmasterradio.fm website now. Just getting your feet wet on the internet? Then dive into our stream. Webmasterradio.fm. We're the coolest place around. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we are back for the second segment here of Cyber Law and Business Report, broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in Santa Monica, California. And we have with us Stan Stahl, a repeat guest from Citadel Information. Um, Stan, thank you very much for joining us again. How are you today? Doing great, Bennett. Thanks so much for having me on your show this morning. Now um, we got cybersecurity. This is a very hot topic these days. Um, we, the headlines are just blazing with stuff about it, from the um, GoDaddy incident to the new um, Norton report on cybersecurity. You know, wh- where do you think we are today on on cybersecurity as a whole? You know, it's like it has been growing for the last couple of years. Uh, Things are continuing to get more serious. Uh, Threats are increasing. Vulnerabilities are increasing. Uh, Our ability to defend ourselves uh, is becoming more and more challenging, particularly smaller middle market businesses, organizations, typically just uh, are behind the curve on this. And, And frankly, the bad guys are winning. And and there's always been a question in my mind in that um, you know, the market is is a good discipline for certain things. You know, uh, the market will discipline failures or consume you know businesses that don't respond to consumers. But it's that when you have a new threat, 
and um, it seems like it takes time or, or it takes some kind of government sanction for the marketplace to actually create its own sanction for failing to, for, in this case, for example, companies failing to have ad- adequate security. If the general norm is not having adequate security, then there's no market sanction really for doing so, and the only way to remedy that would be to create some government sanction. And you know, what is your view on you know, the state, the, from a particularly market point of view, on where we are in cybersecurity? Well, I, I, first of all, I think it's a fabulous question because you know there, there is the the belief in free market capitalism, particularly that you know you you let the market do what the market will do. And right. In economic terms, that's I mean that the, the, you know we, we, you know we're, we're living under the blessings in some ways of that. But then when you you look at you know we, we had the situation in 2008 with banks and insurance companies that were too big to fail. So I think as as you look at your question and you kind of strata uh, you know uh, segmented across different uh, different kinds of organizations and different size organizations, I think you run the same too big to be allowed to fail when you're looking at critical infrastructure, oil, gas, food, finance, those areas, where the role of the government, I believe, has got to be to set, if not to set minimum standards, to at least say that organizations have to adopt some set of minimum standards. They can, you know, maybe they're free to use ISO or something, you know, ISO 27001002 or other things like that. But you've got to say, look, guys, you know, we're putting the economic well-being of the country in your hands. You have a responsibility to protect the systems, the information that you need to provide food, water, finance, et cetera. To the American people, um, I think when you look down kind of deeper into the economy, uh, TJ Maxx probably cost them fifty, sixty, seventy million dollars. Those thirty-four million credit cards that they lost. I mean, the, there's the the market is you know appropriately stepping in. Uh, the costs are going to be high uh, when when companies suffer breaches, and, and if if they're not in this too big to be allowed to fail situation too critical to be allowed to fail situation. I think, you know, you can in those circumstances certainly let the market play itself out. If, if, if uh, businesses are not uh, on top of this, uh, they're going to get hurt, and, you know, they, now, they, they deserve it. Now, you mentioned, um, you know, the, just the cost to uh, um, of, of cyber uh, attacks and cyber crime. Um, Norton just released its 2012 cyber crime report, and in it, they concluded that the United States cybercrime costs nearly $140 billion and that globally costs um, close to $400 billion. And the value of the time lost dealing with cybersecurity issues is over $100 billion itself. And the direct cash loss is about $33 billion. And so we're, we're not talking small dollars. This is quite significant. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. there's the national. Well, we have one, what do you think? Of, do you think that well, people are adequately paying attention to that? Oh no, not at all yet. Uh, that that's one of the challenges we face is that too many organizations uh, do not yet see the problem uh, for what it is. And you know, there, there's a metaphor here, if if you will, Dennis. You know, we we take canaries down into coal mines, you know, so that uh, if if there's methane gas or you know other things like that, uh, you know, let the canaries die. 
before the humans do or before we have a, a fire and explosion or something. I mean, you, you look at, you know, wh- whether uh, the GoDaddy thing was, was a breach by Anonymous or it was in, you know, inappropriately configured router tables or whatever that, that got messed up. Uh, either way, th- this is a canary in the coal mine that, uh, you know, wh- whether it's, it's, it's systems that are weak so that outside hackers can get in, or systems that are weak, so they just fail under their own steam, if you will. I mean, that's that's a canary. Uh, right. I mean, the, you know, they're one know. of the largest providers, and for you know, right. the economic yeah. consequences of them being down for a day is huge. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, one of their uh, <laughs> uh, one of one of one of their uh, the, the companies that they host says they lost fifty thousand dollars in that in in sales in that six hour outcome. And the question I've got is how many canaries have got to die. You know, before we get it, and start really treating cybercrime, cybersecurity as the national challenge that it is. Well, I mean, let's talk about some of the canaries. Um, in a recent Wall Street Journal op-ed, President Obama said, it doesn't take much to imagine the consequence of a successful cyber attack. In a future mm-hmm. conflict, an adversary unable to match our military supremacy on the battlefield might seek to exploit our computer vulnerabilities here at home. Taking down vital banking systems could trigger a financial crisis. The lack of clean water or functioning hospitals could spark a public health emergency. And as we've seen in past blackouts, the loss of electricity can bring businesses, cities, and entire regions to a standstill. I mean, you know, those are you know, those are scenes from a disaster movie. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and and we need. This is one of those places where we need Washington, frankly, to do better. Uh, I find one of the ironies in here, this is one of the canaries itself. Part of the reason we don't have, we, in this last session of Congress, we didn't get past a strong uh, cybersecurity legislation was because the Chamber of Commerce uh, opposed the kinds of, of setting of minimum standards that the, the bill would have. And yet, ironically, the Chamber of Commerce, they are one of those canaries. I mean, they have been hacked by... Uh, but probably uh, uh, Chinese hackers. It's, it's unclear. It's always hard to kind of trace that, but that's where it looks like it came from. Um, I mean, they're they're one of the victims, and yet they're standing up and saying, "No, no, 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 no! Don't regulate us." Well, you know, guys, we got to get our act together, and you know, let's all go in a room and set aside all the rhetoric and do something that will actually benefit the country. We need minimum standards. We need information sharing. Uh, and we've got to protect our, uh, you know, citizen privacy. As, as and that's, well. a, that's uh, I'm glad you made that last point because that's also there were two there were two lines of attack on cybersecurity bill in, in terms of the opponents. One is you know an anti-regulatory um, thrust, which you just mentioned with the Chamber of Commerce. But a lot of people have thought that some of the legislation goes too far and and actually you know compromises privacy and rights of of ordinary citizens. Well, it's, you know, the, the bills might in fact, uh, do that, but that's only a place to exercise creativity, not opposition. I mean, we can, we can share information in a way that doesn't allow for the government or anyone else to use the private information that needs to be part of the collection process, but it can, that stuff can be kept private, it can be kept anonymous, uh, it can be kept out of the hands of whether it's government people or, you know, pick your favorite conspiracy, 
uh, out of the hands of the people who would misuse it. Now, it was, for example, CISPA then. Do you think CISPA was, was constructive or would, did it go too far? Or Well, you know, I, I, there's elements of good, there's elements of bad in, in all of these different bills. That's, that's part of the problem. Uh, that, that they don't get past because everybody begins focusing on, on what they're opposed to and they start shooting arrows and darts and things like that and so we don't, you know, we, we, we end up not passing anything. Um, what I believe could easily be done if people's hearts were in the right place was let's sit down and solve the problem. Okay, right. We've got a major, you look at the, the, the Norton statistics, uh, Bloomberg recently estimated that there's a billion dollars a year lost just an online bank fraud alone, that translates into what ten to twenty thousand new jobs that are lost because of just online banking itself, online bank fraud itself. Um, okay. you know, we're, we're in the middle of a campaign season where jobs are important. Here's fifteen thousand of them sitting there, you know, waiting to be saved. If we did a better job of protecting our banking system from online uh, bank fraud. I mean, in your banking system, that's that's kind of that's the the your lifeline of capitalism, mm-hmm. and uh, you know if you want that to be secure, and and clearly that that's an important thing. And also, I mean, in in, in all fairness, I think you know the media, you know, we don't handle nuance well, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and this is a situ- this is a type of issue that requires some nuance. Totally, totally. It it. There's a lot of nuance here. I mean, just when you talk about online bank fraud, one of the most valuable and least expensive things we can do to lower the incident of online bank fraud is for banks simply to go out and start talking honestly and openly with their banking customers, particularly commercial customers, about the risks of online bank fraud and steps they can take to... uh, to, to defend against it. That's why our Information System Security Association, here the our LA chapter, we have started a program working with banks to help the banks do that job of communicating with their uh, their banking customers. We got to get the word out. It's that's that's in some ways both the most important thing we've got to do and also the least costly thing we have to do. Now let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, to what extent? Are we are we just um, what's the the best word? You know, are, are we cybersecurity amateurs? You know, to what extent are the organizations? Are you seeing the problem being people having easy passwords, easy to hack, um, or even you know passwords that are such you know such easy things as password or new user or thing like that? Yeah, it's 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 terribly. We are terribly naive. Uh, particularly our smaller businesses, our middle, you know, small, medium-sized businesses, uh, that uh, oftentimes they're not even uh, doing what I would call a, a, you know, an adequate, appropriate job of uh, keeping the IT infrastructure secure, but they're failing to provide awareness education to their people. Uh, there's an absence of leadership in management. Um, and, and these are things that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying at the same time as I say this, but not to be critical of management, but to say simply, hey, there's more to this, and you've got to do more. You've got to step up to this. I mean, the, the, you know, if you, if you look at it from a, a basic kind of cliff notes, four bullets perspective or something, you know, uh, the cyber criminals are out there. 
they want the information on our computers and they want the computers themselves for botnets and things like that. We are under attack. We are woefully prepared. We can do a lot better. We can do a lot better in our organizations. We can do a lot better in our homes and we can do a lot better in our communities and we're not yet doing those things. And will it take a major cyber catastrophe to get there or is it just a matter of, of you know, our growing sophistication on being the daily internet consumers? I think the answer is in some way yes. I mean, we, we, <laughs> we, we've all seen technology adoption curve, you know, from early adopters to laggards. Yes. And, you know, there, we are, you know, we, we're, we're, I think, maybe past the early adoption stage, I hope so. Uh, but we still have a long way to go before we reach the final laggards. And it may be that it's going to take the, that next big thing, you know, that will finally get the, the laggards to do something. Uh, one only hopes that before the next big thing happens, uh, we've at least got uh, our critical infrastructure better secured than it now is. Now, you know, you're in your role with Citadel, what type of service do you provide on cybersecurity? So we do a, a host of things. Again, our, our, our market that we play in are, are medium-sized and smaller businesses where um, there are often not specific information security people. Uh, there may even be uh, just a, a handful of IT people or IT may be outsourced. So our services range from uh, in, in helping management install uh, appropriate information security management in the organization, developing policies, training users, uh, working with the IT people to properly document and configure the IT systems, uh, looking at the, the quality of, of the uh, network, what, what, how susceptible it is to attack, what kind of vulnerabilities are on it, and providing guidance to our, our clients on things they can do to, to, better, protect, uh, to pr better protect their systems. And you're also head of a of a major um, cybersecurity trade association, aren't you? That's right. Uh, yeah, I'm president of the Los Angeles chapter of the Information Systems Security uh, Association. Uh, we're a 30 year old organization uh, founded here in L.A. Uh, Howard Schmidt, the uh, president's former cybersecurity coordinator, is our former international president. Um, and here in L.A. Uh, we uh, we started a community outreach program a few years ago, recognizing, as, as our motto says, it takes the village to secure the village. And so we uh, are very active in, in uh, community outreach, in speaking to organizations. I've spoken to Rotary Clubs and organizations like that, Lions Clubs, uh, lots of, of technology groups, CPA societies and all about security. Uh, we are uh, building collaborations with other security organizations in the Los Angeles area. On uh, September 19th here in Los Angeles, we are having a, uh, our quarterly dinner meeting, and it's actually being co-sponsored, co-hosted, not just by our association, but by the LA chapters of OWASP, uh, which is Open Web Application Security Project, uh, the LA chapter of the Cloud Security Alliance, and the LA chapter of ISC Squared, which uh, is an organization that manages the CISSP uh, security certification. So we're doing a lot in Los Angeles to how to 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 work to build collaboration, cooperation, communication among all the, the uh, 
various organizations in LA that either are have some responsibility for security or are good conduits to help get the word out to people who might not otherwise have heard it. Now, um, we only have a few minutes left, so I just want to get try to do some of our speed round questions. Now, would, would, and you personally would use? Would you, are you are you Mac or PC? I'm uh, PC. And what, Android or iPhone? iPhone and iPad. And, and yes. iPad, okay. So right. You cross over. Now, if you had to have three people for dinner, who would, who would you have? Oh, my God. Uh, oh, let's see. You know, we live in a very political time, so I'd, I'd kind of put, uh, who would I want? Barack, certainly. Uh, and I'd like to sit him down with Thomas Friedman and David Brooks, both New York Times columnists. Uh, one more liberal, one more conservative, but both very wise people. And my God, it'd be great fun to sit with the three of them and just discuss what can, you know, here we are, we the people, 200 and some years after the Constitution, right? Next week is Constitution Day. Uh, we're stuck. We're, we're, we're stuck right now. Part of the place we're stuck is cybersecurity, but obviously take a look at Washington. We're stuck in a lot of other places as well. And Friedman had an interesting column this week about the whole, the need for us to evolve. It's not so much what we learn in life, it's it's how we adapt and learn the ability to adapt. And I guess the the last question is, what is the next big thing? Well, if you're looking at it in cybersecurity, one crosses one fingers and hopes I'm wrong, but what if? Uh, and it, it, whether it's Iran or a nation state like Iran or North Korea, or it's a group like Anonymous or Al Qaeda or something, they bring down the financial system. And that would be uh, chaos. They bring down the electrical grid, something like that. And it takes us days uh, or even weeks to recover. So, well, here's the No Canaries. I want to thank you very much. Um, we're running out of time. Stan Stalls, um, Citadel Information. Um, great to have you again, and thank you for joining us here on Cyberlaw Business Report. See you next week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.